Live from the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. Real. True. Stories. May the narrative be with you. So when we think about making fire by friction, we think of Tom Hanks in Castaway desperately slaving away over two sticks trying to make fire. Or maybe we think of two archaic monkey-like men banging rocks together trying to make sparks. But the reality of the situation is that making fire by friction requires a certain finesse and even an artfulness. When I was a child, I was told that the growth rings in a tree represented how old the tree was. There's 20 rings, the tree's 20 years old. But as I've grown older and, and spent some more time with fire and with wood, I now see that those growth rings, the light ones, they represent hundreds if not thousands of sunsets and sunrises long past the summer horizon. And the dark rings, they represent the murkiest, the wettest, the worst days of winter, where the tree still manages to grow. Now, we've all heard of photosynthesis, right? Where plants and trees, they take the energy from the sun and they turn it into food. Well, when we make fire, we draw that energy out of the sun, out of the plants, and turn it into flames. One of my favorite ways to make fire is using the bow drill kit. It only has four pieces. A bow with a string, where you put a round spindle in that serves as, as kind of a drill. You drill it into a flat hearthboard and hold it in place with a handhold. And the position is like this. You have to hold the hearthboard in place so it doesn't spin out of control. And what you do is you spin the spindle, and the spindle drills into the wood, creating a dust that gets so hot it turns into a baby coal. Once you have that coal, you can scoop it into a nest of tinder and then blow it into flames. When I was 19 years old, I was living in Portugal where my mother was born, and I was working and living in this rural community, Cobaya, where we were rebuilding stone houses and building gardens and pruning olive trees and making oil so that we could provide infrastructure for a rural community to bring the youth back into rural Portugal. And it was February when we ran out of propane, which was how we were cooking our food. So we went outside one evening to make dinner, which didn't feel that much different than being inside when you live in a yurt. And we, um, we gathered a bunch of clippings from the olive trees that we had pruned, and we created a massive fire. We cooked the most beautiful meal. It was simple. We baked bread on the ashes, and when our bellies were full, we started to drink a little wine, and we drank a little bit more wine. Then soon, all of, all of my peers couldn't bother to speak English anymore. They slipped back into their native Portuguese, and I allowed myself to fall into the trance of a fire. And I started to think about how dependent we were on the propane to meet our most basic need of eating, something we all have to do to stay alive. And I began to think about how dependent we were on these like manufactured goods from China or God knows where, like lighters and matches, to start this fire. And I was looking around, and I didn't see no fucking matches tree, I didn't see the lighter bush. <laughs> and I began to realize how little I knew. And then I began to think, and my mind started to spiral about how, you know, for all of our families, maybe more recently than others, 
The fire was our heart. It was our sense of security. It was the place where we kept warm. It was how we cooked our food and sanitized our water. Eventually it became how we turned metal into knives and the tools that we all cherish today. And without fire, we would be nowhere. So then, as a 19-year-old, I spiraled into the existential crisis that, you know, some of us may be familiar with. And what the fuck am I doing? And who am I? And how can I be a human if I don't know how to make fire without some bullshit that was made in China? <laughs> but like a 19-year-old, I forgot about it. Moved on to the next crisis. Until I was looking through this magazine called Permaculture Activist, and I saw an advertisement for The Remembering. I was like, The Remembering? It said, make your own village. Learn about wild, edible, medicinal plants. Make your own clothes, make your own containers. Make friction fire. And then I saw at the bottom, it said, Portland, Oregon, which is the very place I had left a year before. <laughs> So I got a ticket back to Portland, and um, the program was actually the Southern Oregon coast. So so many months later, I find myself in Southern Oregon with seven scraggly-looking strangers that I'm supposed to live with for the next two months to make a primitive village. So we, we have this clearing in the woods, and we build a shelter out of cedar, and it looks like this scrappy, shaggy dog. We love it anyways. And, we learn how to harvest our own food, and we're on the coast, so we're, you know, we're harvesting mussels. We eat a lot of mussels. I don't eat those anymore. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we were there for weeks and weeks and weeks, and until we got to the, the portion on making fire by friction. This is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> So we go out to this, this part of the woods where the cedar trees, the Porterford cedars, were really close. There's not that much space, so they get, they're pretty small. So I take my knife, I grab a stick, and I'm chopping down the tree like I'm a beaver with opposable thumbs, and bring it down, and our instructor shows how to craft a kit with those four components, right? So they get down, they give us a demonstration, they make a call, they talk, they talk to us about the physics of how it works, which I don't understand, but you know. They show it to us, and so we get down to business, and I, um, I see my friend Sam, who's like sculpted out of marble. He's a very well-built human being. He's a, he's got his kit, he's in position, and he's just going for it, and going for it, and going for it. And soon he's got smoke, and he's got a coal. I'm like, oh, that's easy. And then I see my friend Sabrina, and she's she's going for it. And she's getting smoke and getting smoke, and no coal, but you can still tell that something is happening. There's a, there's a tangible process going on there, right? So I grab my kit, I find my spot, I get down there, and I put my foot on the hearthboard, I twist the spindle into the bow, I pop it in place, hold it with the handhold, and I go to spin the spindle, and the spindle goes flying off 10 feet that way. <coughs> Did anybody see that? <laughs> so I go and I grab it. And this time I find a different spot, and I turn my back like I'm some wounded animal, right? And I start doing it, and again the spindle goes flying off, it won't stay in place. I know it's possible, but I'm just not doing it. And my instructors see that I'm struggling, they come over and they give me some advice and show me some modifications, and I'm like, that's great, that's great, thanks, but I just, I can't do this. It's not for me, like, I'm not built for it, I'm not made of marble like Sam, like, it just... It's not for me. I said I couldn't do it, so I did it. 
And I made up some excuse about how I was dehydrated and I went back to our camp and I set my kit down next to our shade shelter. And there it stayed for a while. You know, camp was small, so I would pass it every now and again and I would look at it. And it would look at me and I would turn away. <laughs> because it devastated me that I couldn't make that fire. That was what was supposed to make me an intact human. That was my salvation, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, and it destroyed me. The summer came to an end, and I left that kit there. I don't even know where it is. I abandoned it. I moved to a, a farm out in Boring, Oregon, on 10 acres, where you know there are folks living there with pigs and horses, and they had a big garden. And, you know, my dad always joked that uh, I was born in a barn, like any time I leave a door open, what are you, born in a barn? I wasn't born in a barn, but I lived in one for a few months, so I think that makes up for it. And um, there's this woman who lived there with me named Tracy, and I really looked up to her. She was a few years older than me, which wasn't hard to do when you're 19. And she was just one of those people who has her head on straight, you know? She's really level-headed, and seemed like nothing could face her. So this morning when I went into her, and she was giddy, like a kid in a candy shop, or like, on Christmas morning, when you get that thing that you wanted, that was the look on her face. So, of course, like, Tracy, what's up? What, what's going on? What's your story? And she said, well, do you remember that cottonwood tree that fell a few months back? I'm like, yeah, I remember. Well, I made a bow drill kit out of it, and immediately my ears perk up. I'm like, oh, okay. She's like, yeah, I, um, I just made a kit, and it was super well-seasoned, and it was the easiest pull I've ever gotten. I left it right in front of my stove in my cabin. I'm like, oh, congratulations, that's great. She walks away, and I find myself standing there. <laughs> I don't think she was inviting me into her cabin, but I took it as an invitation, so I let myself in. And there I saw the kit in front of her stove. And there was a beautiful basket full of tinder, which is like baby food for a fire. And I sit down with it. And I say, you know, today's gonna be the day. You and me, fire, we're gonna have to talk. Okay, so I get everything into position. spinning the spindle, and it goes flat off. So I grab it, God damn it. <laughs> put it into place, and this time it's spinning, and it's spinning, and it's spinning, and it's spinning, and then it goes flying off, and I grab it, and I'm determined, there's nothing stopping me now. Put it in place, and it's spinning, and it's spinning, and it's spinning, and soon there's so much smoke, and soon I can barely breathe, and soon my whole body's shaking, having some like spiritual experience. <laughs> And just when my, my, my body can't take it anymore, I sit back and I look down, and inside of this nest of black dust is a baby coal. My sense of empowerment and bewilderment prevented me from blowing it into flames, so it died, but it did not matter because I had drawn fire out of the trees, and there it was. There it was. <laughs> years ago now, and now my job is to teach kids how to draw fire out of the trees. That's what I do for a living, and sometimes they don't make it, but when they do, it's so special. But I'll tell you something, I promise to keep it between you and I. <laughs> do you? Yeah. I always carry a lighter. <laughs>